We are now going to turn to our reading. And our reading today is going to be taken from 1 Kings chapter 10. And I'll be reading from verses 1 to 13. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and about your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to the King Solomon. Hiram's ships bought gold from Ophir, and from there they brought great cargoes of almond wood. Apparently that's juniper or sandalwood, and precious stones. The king used the almond wood to make supports for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. So much almond wood has never been imported or seen since that day. King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, sorry, besides what he had given her out of his, uh, his royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her, with her retinue, to her own country. Okay, welcome back everybody. Good morning and it's great to be here this morning. Um, I'm enjoying it more as the weeks go on, I've got to say. Uh, I see there's, there's seven people here that weren't here last week. Um, so that's good, isn't it? That's over a quarter of the people that are in the building at the minute. So thank you for those that are trusting us and uh, just slowly starting to come back and, and experience it and see how it's going. And hello everybody at home as well. I hope that you're, you've got a drink, probably a cup of tea or something. And, uh, and I settled down and are ready as we take in this particular passage of scripture which is a good one 1 kings chapter 10 
is a good one. And I just want to sort of lay out the scene before we start and just think about what it is that we're trying to do this morning. And I want to take you back to October the 17th, 1998. October the 17th, 1998. I don't suppose any of you can remember what you were doing. I don't suppose you can even remember what sort of day it was. It was a Saturday and it was a lovely day. The sun was shining for a lot of it. Um, it, was, it was quite nice for October, not bad at all. It was my granddad's birthday and Katrina and I went over to see him to drop off his present and card. And then I'd got a whole day planned for us where we went out into the Lincolnshire Wolds and we stopped at one of those viewing points and we looked over a tremendous view. You know, in my job, um, I had this opportunity of driving around to fix machines in different places. And I often drove through the Lincolnshire Wolds. And it's an area of outstanding natural beauty. That's not my words. That's Google Maps words or whoever put the maps together. There's many of these places around the country. You've probably seen them. As you've got them, you've probably got your favourite places to go. I mean, we live in a beautiful land, don't we? Somewhere where we can go and we can stop. And I would often drive past these things and think, wow, that was amazing. I'd love to stop there. And I didn't have time. I had to fix a machine. And I think another day I'll come back. And on this particular day, there was a very special girl that I wanted to propose to. And I wanted to take her to somewhere very beautiful and look out over a fantastic scene. And we stopped somewhere in the Lincolnshire Wolds. And I got the lunch out because we've got a packed lunch. Uh, and we, we just sat and we just looked at this incredible view. You can see for miles, miles. Uh, and then things moved on. Um, I mean, things went a bit downhill, if I'm honest. Um, not for me, but for Katrina. We went to a castle, Tattershall Castle, and there was this woman that was sort of following us all the way around. I kept leaning in my pocket to get the ring out, and she kept just appearing. I was like, what's she doing here? Go away. There was the only other one person in the whole place, and she kept following us. And at times, I was thinking, I could do it here. It'd be beautiful. I could do it here. I could do it here. And in the end, I ended up doing it as we came out of the dungeons, and it was really um, quite strange and a bit weird. Um, but it, it was done. And, it, you know, the, the thing, the most important thing was that she said yes. And uh, thankfully, that's what happened. And I, and I share that story because, you know, I think your kids should know when you got together when you, you know, proposed, because, you know, if in the future some mad scientist decides to go back in time in a DeLorean uh, and he takes somebody with him and, and they realise that, you know, he, he sort of makes the mistake of breaking up his mum and dad because it was their engagement, you should know, shouldn't you, that that's what you've got to try and get back to. I'm talking about back to the future, the story, of course. But the point is, the point is, I wanted to take her somewhere where it was... Um, where we could just appreciate the view and see where we were. And these viewing points are great, aren't they? They've put them in different places all around the country. You often see them. If, you see, if you're sort of driving along and you see a view that you just think, wow, then probably somewhere near there, somebody's built a little car park and they've put one of those little signs, I think little sort of things, and you know it's a viewing point. In other words, we know this is nice. We know this is good. Look out over it. Take your time and have a look. You know, 1 Kings chapter 10 is a bit like a viewing point. There's the link. I know you're all thinking, where's he going? 1 Kings 10 is a viewing point in the scriptures. It's a time to stop. It's a time to look out and to see the view and enjoy it. It really is. And the first point is this, it's simply this, if it comes up here or it comes up here, enjoy the view. Enjoy the view. We need to enjoy it. This portion of scripture is breathtaking. 
We've been thinking, as Rob's already reminded us, thank you Rob for this morning, it's great wasn't it? I appreciate when other people are leading the service, helps a lot for me. It's great to see him up here and for all he's done over the last year in helping us in our worship. Been thinking in this series about Solomon, about facing an unknown future and how that can help us. About how he trusted God and how we can trust God. And as a result of that, here we see this morning Solomon used by God, and he is used by God. Isn't he? Did you, did you feel that as you were reading through it? Pick it up. It's an opportunity just for us to stop and take in the view. So often we're thinking about the next thing, aren't we? We're, we're thinking about tomorrow or, or, or whatever it is. The next thing that's coming up, we're sort of living on fast forward, it feels like, sometimes. Trying to get through to different things. Often worry about what's happening or what's around the corner. It's hard sometimes to stop and look and to be in the moment. And I know this is a common thing at the minute, you know, this mindfulness and all this sort of, you know, stopping and recognizing you're in the moment. But I do think, actually, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because today's got enough worries about itself. I think he was saying in some ways we should be living in the present. One of the things I love to do when I'm on holiday, I don't know if you like to do this, but I look forward to my holidays quite a lot. I love being with the family, just away somewhere where we can, you know, we can go out for meals and we can just take in the views and see different things. I, I love that time, play games, do all sorts of different things. And, and I like at some point during the week just to stop and think, I'm on holiday. Do you ever do that? You know, just somewhere, we were in Ilfracombe last summer and Jacob said, you're here now, aren't you, Dad? And I knew exactly what he meant. I was like, yes, yes, Jacob, we're here right now. Everybody stop. Right at this moment in time, we're in Ilfracombe in Devon. We can hear the seagulls. We're eating chips by the harbour. We can see the boats. We can see that the tide's gone out. This is brilliant. This is where we are. And the reason that I like to do that is because pretty much as soon as I get home, I think to myself, I'm back now. Where, where's that gone? Where's that, that week that I've been planning for and looking forward to gone? I love that moment on holiday when you just think, this is where I am. It doesn't have to be on holiday. It can be anywhere you like. And I think we can do that with the scriptures as well. We can do it as a church, actually. I thought, let's just take the opportunity to do it this morning. Right now, shall we? Let's think. Are we where we want to be? No. I mean, will we ever be where we want to be? Probably not actually ever be where we want to be, this side of glory. We want restrictions to be lifted. We want to be able to sing, don't we? I mean, you see these songs come up and you think of these words that God's inspired people to write and you want, I want to sing all, my once held, all I once held dear. I want, I want to sing that out with you. Like, I want to look at you as you're singing it and enjoying God and we can't do that. And, you know, I was just thinking as I was sat down there, I'm so pleased I'm getting up to preach in a minute because I'll be able to take my mask off. And you're all still sat there in yours. I'm not trying to rub it in, but it's the, we, we, want, we want to be able to take them off, don't we? And, you know, just, ugh. We want to be in a different place. I know that. We want more people to come back. Thankfully, we can do this. But the point is, we are here. Right now, we're here. You know, in history, this will go down as a, quite a unique time, I think. Unless there's a hundred pandemics all lining up to attack us from here on in, who knows? might be the beginning of many, but I think it will probably go down as quite a unique time. We may look back to those days when we had to sit in church, and there weren't many of us, and we had to wear a mask. 
And it's today we'll be looking back to. It's this moment we'll be looking back to. And we might be thinking it was horrible. We might be thinking, well, it was okay. It was different. It was something to be experienced. But right now, we're able to get into the building. God's blessed us with the people that have given us a new porch and been able to build that and do that for us. Able to sit out here and see the street. Never be able to do that before. It's great. Right now, some people, though, with 24 people, I think, in the building, and there'll be people at home as well, at least 24, I hope, you know, 30, 40, 50 people watching, and we're still able to feel like we're together. That's quite good, isn't it? That's nice. It's nice that you guys are able to join us in here. It's not all about this, and it's not all about that. It's about everything. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to do this because we haven't been able to do this for a long time thank you Lord that we'll be able to do more things in the future but right now we're able to do this often thinking about what's around the corner aren't we you know I wonder if when we've looked at 1 Kings 1 to 10 in the back of your mind you've had this sort of thought of well it's all very good in bigging Solomon up at the front but I know what happens Has this tension been in your minds, those of you that know these passages quite well? You know, Solomon faced an unknown future, and he trusted God, and he was used by God, and you're all thinking, well, that's all well and good, but eventually, I mean, he fails, doesn't he? And he does. It does go pear-shaped, and we'll get to that. And you may think that I've been sort of papering over the cracks and I've been too positive about Solomon in these first ten chapters. But I'm not going to paper over the cracks. We're going to get to the cracks. But I do think that the way that the author sets up 1 Kings, he does give us this positive first ten chapters before we get to chapter 11. And we can still enjoy it. We can enjoy this view even when we know what's coming. Just like we can enjoy Genesis 1 and 2. And the way that God creates this world in which we live. We, don't you love those book, those chapters in, in the book? <clears throat> it was good. It was good. We see plant life and animal life and sun and moon and sky. And we just think, wow, this is amazing. God is fantastic. God is massive. We're not thinking, oh, but you know, Genesis 3 is just around a con. I can't really enjoy this. Well, maybe we are, but, 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 but we shouldn't. And, and the same with 1 Kings 1 to 10. We, we, know, we know that it goes wrong, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to think about that, but, but now's not the time to look at that. Now's the time to enjoy the view, to think about what has happened, where we have come to. We like to put people into categories, don't we? All of us like to do this. After the first week, a couple of weeks ago, I got home, one of the kids said to me, I thought Solomon wasn't a great king. And you could say, you know, it was great because I could see the sort of, you know, wearing along thinking, where do I put Solomon? Is, it, is he good or is he bad? We want to put him in one or the other, don't we? And we're thinking to ourselves, well, do, do we learn from Solomon? Do we imitate Solomon or do we not do what Solomon did? And the answer to those, both of those questions is yes and yes. And then no and no. Because <laughs> it's not straightforward, is it? And it's not really with any of the biblical characters when you think about it. None of them really are sort of held up there as, as supreme examples for us, apart from one. There's only one hero of the Bible, isn't there? Which is Jesus, who is God. God is the hero of the scriptures, but we can learn from Solomon. 
We can learn from David, but we know that he wasn't perfect. We can learn from other people, which is why we look into God's word together. So even though this is a, a grey area, don't let what you know is coming put you off enjoying what's happening now as we look at this view together. You know, a lot of, a lot of life, there's grey areas, isn't there? I think when we come out of this pandemic, we will look back, and it wasn't like that was awful and horrible, and we'll think, well, actually, I quite like that, and I'm missing it now. <laughs> I've got a minister friend of mine who I was talking to, pray with him fairly regularly. He says, I'm, I'm quite happy with the way things are, actually. The way he is in his personality, he quite likes the fact that he can do things over screens and different things. It's not all black and white, is it? This is horrible, and we all want it to be good again. We live in this sort of grey area, but we can appreciate the benefits and some of the positives. Which means when we look at this chapter, we can just pause for a moment and think about what it's telling us and enjoy it. Listen to verse 8. How happy your people must be. This queen of Sheba travels a long way, we get the impression, don't we? And she comes to Jerusalem and she sees Solomon and she just says... How happy your people must be. Or before that, when the Queen of Sheba, verse 4, saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he'd built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendant servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. She was what? Overwhelmed. She said to the king, the reports I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe the things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. She was overwhelmed. She was staggered. She, she just thought, wow, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. How happy your people must be. The Queen of Sheba is impressed that the blessing of God that comes down goes out through Solomon. That's what she sees. If you read the second half of chapter 10, we didn't, we just read the first half just for time, but if you read the second half, you see the way that it's laid out for us, the way that God blesses. In my Bible, it's entitled Solomon's Splendor. Solomon's Splendor. It talks about gold and ivory and silver and riches and wisdom and, and gifts, and not in a negative way but as a foretaste, if you like. You see, chapter 10 is as much a vision of the future kingdom as we get in real terms in the scriptures. We can, we can talk about what, what the kingdom of God, when it's going well, looks like. We can talk about heaven, and we've had that series. Uh, about John, by the way, next week, Sydney is joining us on Zoom next Sunday afternoon. We're not meeting at 4.30, we're meeting at 6. And we've got a question and answer session with John and Sydney, If you've got his book, you can uh, look through and think if there's any questions. John would like the questions beforehand. I don't think that means you can't answer them on the night, but if you've got them beforehand, then please do send them, and he can uh, think about how they can answer them together. And look, don't think, well, I'm sure, I'm sure he, he answered this question. I just can't remember the answer. It doesn't matter. The idea is that you understand and get to know it. So if you've got a question about heaven, any question about heaven, I mean, that, that's a great thing to say, isn't it? If you've got any question about heaven, send it to John on email this week. Anything. And we'll think about what the Bible says again. That could be a great time together. 
What will heaven be like? John's tried to help us understand, hasn't he? With the different things and see. But what, what is the kingdom of God like? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is as close, in a sense, as we get to seeing it. It's amazing. It's splendor. Splendorous, if that's a word. All of this stuff that's happening, a godly king on his throne, his people well off and looked after, happy and blessed as a result. You know, you've got to say, haven't you, really, since the fall, we haven't seen anything like it on earth. Nothing like it on earth. This is a prophetic vision of what it will really be like when God is in his rightful place and we are obeying him and living for him. All those long years of God's forbearance with his people from choosing Abraham way back in Genesis, promising through him to bless the world, taking his descendants to Egypt, delivering them when they're slaves, moving them slowly to their own nation because they have lessons to learn, setting them up, eventually providing them with godly kingship. And now we reach this height and enjoy this view. There's over a thousand years between the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12 and Solomon. A thousand years, over a thousand years. We know the people of Egypt, according to, I think it's Exodus 12:40, were in Egypt for 430 years. 1 Kings 6, 1 tells us that between the people leaving Egypt and building the temple, it was 480 years. That's 1,010 years. And Abraham was around before they went into Egypt. This has taken a long time, hasn't it? Over a millennium to get to this point. And how far, you know, Abraham was after the fall, we don't know. It's taken a long time to get to this point. We've seen God appeared to Solomon and asked him what he was like, and he was pleased because he asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom. He asked for discernment in ruling God's people. He answered his prayer. We've seen that over the last few weeks. He was able to judge between the correct mother and the fake mother because of his God-given wisdom. We see his wisdom to rule and organize his affairs, his wisdom in relationships. We see that God is at the center. This is the time when the people of Israel get it right and they're building the temple. David had that desire, but God said, no, because you've got blood on your hands. And then Solomon comes along and that's when they build the temple. And we see that it leads to God's people putting God at the center. And when God's people get God at the center, and they don't very often, do they, in the Old Testament, but when they do get God at the center, then he does what he's always been, in a sense, trying to do. I mean, that sounds like I'm limiting God. I'm not. But, but he wants to work through his people to reach out to the nations. That's what God wants to do. That's God's plan. And we see that here with the Queen of Sheba in chapter 10. Israel are getting it right. God is reaching out through his people. We've if we're looking out and we see this view, we've got a mountaintop over here in chapter 4 and verse 34. And this is what it says. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. That mountain peak, it's good. We look at it and we think, wow. We also see the anticipation of it in chapter 8 in Solomon's prayer for the dedication of the temple. Let me read verse 41 onwards. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel but has come from a distant land because of your name. For men will hear of your great name 
and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know, that may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel. That desire, that, that knowledge of what God is wanting to do reaching out to the nations and then verse 60 of chapter 8 so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other that's like a massive lake in the middle isn't it you can see all the wildlife and you know maybe bits and things popping up you've got the mountain you've got the, and you just think wow this is this is immense this view it's incredible and then these verses are enacted for us in chapter 10 and verses 1 to 13 that we read an example of how Israel has shone out to the nations at this time when things were right under the reign of a wise king over God's kingdom people were attracted to come far and wide Queen of Sheba verse 8 says how happy your men must be how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom and then she says Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain righteousness and justice. She praises God. She's overwhelmed. And she's overwhelmed because what she sees, she knows, doesn't just come from Solomon, it comes from God. That's what she sees. When God is at the centre, he gets the glory. There's a realisation from the Queen that what is happening is not of human origins. Things were so impressive, she knew that God was behind it. She's an example of people coming, isn't she? She's not the only one. I mean, by the time we get to verse 24, listen to this. This is great, isn't it? The enthusiasm of the author. Chapter 10, verse 24. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. The whole world is just like, I mean, how amazing is this? He's trying to capture it as he's writing it and show the enthusiasm of what God is doing. God blessing people, reaching out through his people to bring others in, in this breathtaking view that we're given. When God is at the centre, blessing comes to Israel. And then to other nations that was the reason that he called Abraham that was the reason that he persevered with this nation grew them into a nation so that he through them could reach out to the world that's God's plan but guess what third point that plan I don't know where it is hasn't changed no it's not there yet that plan hasn't changed God still wants to reach out through his people to the nations so he sends a better king <laughs> he sends a different king he sends a deeper king and we're going to think about more about this next time but we know don't we that Jesus makes all the difference that the promise to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled not actually in Solomon but in Jesus it's when we get to Jesus that we see that this God who 
helps Solomon, who reaches out through Solomon, is the God, like we were thinking about last week, who indwells us by his spirit and through us wants to reach out to those around us. The plan hasn't changed. He's wanting through us to reach out. Summed up in the words at the end of Matthew's Gospel, isn't it? What we call the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, Go! Go into all nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, his heart, God's heart, is to reach out to other people. Not just to keep him to ourselves, but to help others to see who he is and what he's done. People can meet God when they meet us. In fact, more than that, you know, this is God's chosen way through us, you and me. Do you feel inadequate for the task? I mean, of course you do, don't you? I do. <laughs> and yet that's God's way. He wants to work through us to reach out to other people. Which means that he has to be central in our lives. To do that, we need his grace. We need his help. We need his strength. We need to be asking him to use us in those situations. God will shine through us. How often do you hear the testimony of someone and they say, I met so-and-so and they were just different. <laughs> they had something I didn't have. You hear that time and time again, don't you? People recognize it. They see it. I'm sure some of you have said it. Of the people that you knew, they had something that I didn't have. They were just different in a good way obviously, in an attractive way. Now look, we don't, we don't have to try and be different. We, we have to be godly. That's how we are different, by, by not, you know, not trying to be different to someone else, but just trying to be like God is, trying to do what, what God wants us to do and have our, our eyes focused on him and know his spirit living in us and his grace working through us. That's what we focus on. And then people will see it. When God is at the centre of our lives, people will see it. He will reach out through us to others. Do we realise that God has called us, put his spirit in us, to live through us and to reach out through us, so that we might, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, shine like stars in the universe. I love that little image. Shine like stars in the universe. That every time we don't react to things as the world around us wants us to, but with godly wisdom, God will use that. He'll use it. You know, we have the same fears, we have the same anxieties, we have the same hopes and dreams as others. We are human, but we have a different God. One who will give us wisdom and who will help us. And we live in a different age to Solomon, don't we? We have Jesus. We know why he came. We know that he makes all the difference. We have different struggles. But God is still reaching out through us to bless others. To bring others into his kingdom. We need to see ourselves, like Solomon, as a conduit. <laughs> Somebody that God works through to reach out. And not block 
him. You know, not allow him to come in, but then not, not want him to go out again. But, but be praying that God, by his spirit, would use us and help us in the situations that we find ourselves. I've said many times before, you, in your situation, are the only person that can reach the people where you are, and your front lines, your families, your work colleagues, neighbours, whatever it is, wherever you are, looking for those opportunities. Because God reached out through Solomon. The Queen of Sheba came and she was overwhelmed at what she saw, and straight away she said, this is God's doing. Praise God. That's still his plan, to work through us, his people. I'm going to end with a couple of questions we've been trying to do this over the last few weeks. Hopefully they're application questions. I just want you to think through these. We haven't got life groups this week, so we won't be taking them into life groups, but that doesn't mean that you can't uh, think about them. If you want to take a picture as they, they come up, please do so, so that you've got them throughout the week. I think Joe's been putting them on Facebook at some point. Is that right? Yeah, Joe's been putting them on Facebook. So uh, they're out there. If you want to it just, just remind you of the... Um, of the, the passage that we're looking at. And the first one is this. How often do you take in the view as you read the scriptures? One of my favorite phrases is, you don't see the wood for the trees. You know, sometimes we can get so much detail, we forget the bigger picture of what's going on. This has taken a thousand years to get to 1 Kings 10 at least. I mean, it's taken longer than that, really. But when we get there, this height, it's a great view, isn't it? when we can see what God's doing. How often do you take in the view when you read the scriptures? Just think about what's going on here. It's not the only way of reading it, but, but how often do you do that? And secondly, just this challenge. If God is reaching out through his people, in what ways is he reaching out through you? If God is reaching out through his people, in what ways is he reaching out through you? And you know, I, I'm not going to, well, I don't want to answer this because I want you to answer it because it's a question. But I just want to give you a bit of a pointer. If you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, God's not using me. You know, I, I don't think the answer is to try harder. Now, that might sound a bit strange. I think the answer is think about whether God is central or not. It's grace. It's his spirit. Think about whether God is really central in your life. Okay.